Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Let's try it again. There we go. I tell you, we're barely getting this program off the ground tonight. And uh, I hate to be paranoid, but I think maybe Big Oil is listening. They heard the promo and they don't want this show to get uh, to get underway. Tim Spreen uh, will vouch for me. We, we had a heck of a time just recording a promo. We had two studios just go kaplooey uh, down the hall. And, uh, and now this. And I was uh, running around looking for the mic switch. That wandered off and then... I hit the, the on switch and I couldn't get on the air. Anyway, I, I mentioned big oil. Uh, I drove into a gas station tonight and the sign said, uh, we, we, uh, we take American Express, Visa and MasterCard. So I filled up, I went in and then they took my Visa, my American Express and my MasterCard. Uh, it's crazy oil prices, but, um, it needn't be so. And we're about to learn, uh, why. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But first of all, welcome to the program. Happy Thanksgiving. My American listener is scratching their head saying, are we in some kind of a time warp? What's going on here? Uh, well, of course, the program does emanate from Toronto, Canada. And uh, a very funny man lives up here in Toronto. He's a lawyer, but he's also a, was also a comedian. Hart Pomerantz had a, a great line, the difference between Americans and Canadians. Americans shot their parents. We still send money home. Uh, meaning, obviously, the uh, the king and queen of England. Uh, but the other difference between us and our wonderful neighbors to the south is we celebrate Thanksgiving in October. The first Monday in October. Is it the first Monday or the second Monday? I've lost track. Anyway, it's in October, and of course, it's uh, the end of November, stateside. Welcome, welcome. Uh, we are going to launch into a very important discussion. What could be more important, really, right now with energy prices going through the roof? You're going to learn something, I think, that's going to shock you. I'm quite confident it's going to shock you. Everything we've learned about the, the nature of oil may be a lie. We all grew up believing that it is a fossil fuel. A bunch of dinosaurs went over to Saudi Arabia and died in a big pile. And uh, prehistoric plants, of course. And over time, these fossils became oil, which we refine into gasoline. And because it's a non-renewable resource and it's scarce, that somehow justifies gouging us at the pumps. Or as David Letterman uh, pointed out uh, a little while ago, technically the oil companies aren't gouging us, they're screwing us. I'm not sure what the difference is, but we're about to find out. Uh, I am joined on, by, uh, on the line uh, by Jerome Corsi, who has a PhD from Harvard in political science and serves as a senior staff reporter for online news giant World Net Daily. His latest book is entitled The Great Oil Conspiracy, How the U.S. Government Hid the Nazi Discovery of abiotic oil from the American people. Jerome, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm doing good, Richard. It's good to be with you. Thank you. It's good to have you back on the program. First of all, uh, some definitions. Fossil fuel, that's what we've been told oil is. It's a fossil fuel. What is abiotic oil? Uh, abiotic means uh, not oil not created by any biological means. In other words, um, uh, abiotic, A, you know, like, um, you'd say not, biotic, biological, 
So there, it, the, the theory is, uh, it's a well-established theory, as we'll show you, even the Nazis knew this theory, actually developed the, the science of abiotic oil. Um, no ancient forest, no dinosaurs, no plankton, no living thing ever contributed to create oil. Uh, the abiotic theory is that oil is created by the earth on a natural, ongoing basis, even today. Gen the earth creating oil today in the mantle of the earth. And um, it's a completely abiotic or non-biological process. In other words, your introduction was correct. Correct. We've been lied to by science teachers and government um, you know, for generations. Uh, all of us, you know, taught uh, the incorrect chemistry in high school on. But uh, what the Nazis knew, and we've suppressed that knowledge in the United States and in Canada, it's known in other parts of the world that oil is abiotic, not a biological material. And that's what my book, The Great Oil Conspiracy, is all about. So if it's not a fossil fuel... If it's right. not created by ancient, decaying biological debris, correct? Then it is. You're saying it's replenishable, it's renewable, it's virtually inexhaustible. Yes, it's 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 extremely plentiful. It's renewable. It's being made all the time by the Earth on a natural basis, and it's a natural product of the Earth. It's not inherently toxic. You know, it's not old rotten things that are. You know, dangerous or detrimental to health. This is a natural product of the earth. The earth generates in the mantle of the earth. That's healthy to the earth. The earth is able to absorb it, and we can use fossil fuel not only plentifully, but we can use it in an environmentally safe way. It does not destroy the earth to use fossil fuels. And all of this, of course, goes against uh, much of the political correctness or the science people have been taught. And our, our fairly revolutionary ideas, even though the Nazis uh, developed the science that c created and, and figured out the chemical formulas by which the Earth produces oil, and we at the end of World War II had this knowledge readily available to us. Uh, we brought the Nazi scientists over to the United States. And this is the kind of thing that, again, uh, I'm sure for... Uh, your listening audience is going to, for many of them, be a great surprise. Others are going to say, uh, you know, it was obvious they knew it all the time, but, you know, when you think about it, you know, how, the, the questions get to be fairly ridiculous. How many dinosaurs does it take to make a barrel of oil? You know, as you pointed out, uh, all the dinosaurs did not herd the Saudi Arabia at the end of the Mesozoic era and die in a big heap. That's not why we have oil in Saudi Arabia, but not in other places in the Middle East. As I show in the Great Oil Conspiracy, the tectonic plates, the the basement rock in uh, Saudi Arabia is deeply fractured right where the oil fields are, and the fracturing in the earth permits the oil created in the mantle of the earth to seep up and pool in sedimentary rock where our geologists have mistakenly assumed that the oil was created. Jerome Quartz is with us, a senior uh, staff reporter for the online news giant WorldNet Daily, and his new book is called The Great Oil Conspiracy, How the U.S. Government Hid the Nazi Discovery of Abiotic Oil from the American People. Now, these uh, uh, documents uh, that contained these equations developed by these German chemists, 
that, that talked about how oil is actually formed. How were these uncovered? Well, the, the Germans in the Weimar Republic, uh, the two chemists that were most responsible for it, a chemist Fischer and another guy, Tropsch, these are the Fischer-Tropsch equations. Uh, they formulated these equations in the Weimar Republic, really trying to figure out Germany had um, no real resources of crude oil, and yet Germany needed abundant oil supplies to industrialize. Ultimately, for World War II, the Nazis needed oil. So the, the German chemists set out to figure out how the coal that Germany had abundantly could be synthetically turned into uh, diesel fuel, gasoline, airplane fuel, and the, that's what these chemists were trying to do. They're trying to figure out the synthetic processes whereby it could convert coal to oil. Now, they did that, but in the process, these Fischer-Tropsch equations uh, explained how the Earth makes oil because what they came up with was the a catalytic reaction that occurs under conditions of extreme heat and, and uh, pressure, temperature and pressure, such that um, rocks or minerals that contain hydrogen and others that contain carbon will release the hydrogen and carbon. Uh, and a catalytic reaction with the presence of a catalyst like iron oxide or cobalt or many catalysts, you'll form hydrocarbon molecules, which are um, oil uh, all the way through to the, to the gaseous, I mean, the, the simpler forms of hydrocarbons like methane. And these equations have been uh, well understood and, and reasonably well developed. Uh, a lot of the material that was brought at the end of World War II, see, at the end of World War II, the CIA, then the OSS in the United States, and military intelligence actually brought a lot of these Nazi scientists back to the United States in Operation Paperclip, a secret operation that we denied existed. And the Operation Paperclip files are now declassified. I went to uh, Washington Silver Spring in Maryland to the National Archives and got a lot of these documents and put them into the book. You can see actually the photographs of the Nazi scientists, their fingerprints, their backgrounds, the intelligence estimates about synthetic oil. Uh, and what happened at the end of World War II is when we brought these Nazi scientists over in the United States, we created some synthetic coal plants, but they weren't economically feasible because synthetic coal... Uh, you know, synthetic oil from coal is expensive. Now, the Nazis had 80% of the fuel in World War II was synthetic. They had Fischer-Tropsch plants all over the uh, country of Germany, and we bombed them extensively to put the Nazis out of the Fischer-Tropsch oil business. But it was too expensive in the United States when crude oil in the 1950s was readily available. And so our scientists, our government, said, oh, we don't, we'll just park these formulas. They're uninteresting. Uh, they don't give us really very good, uh, cheap oil. And yet they, they, the Nazis, and I quoted the book, said, you know, you guys aren't understanding what we have here. Well, the, you know, the Soviet Union did understand it. Stalin understood it. Our chemists told Russia they didn't have any crude oil, just like Germany. And Stalin said, nonsense. If the Russians can make oil, then I'm going to figure out what they know, and I'm going to make oil too. And what Russia started to do was find oil at deep earth levels, which is what these Fischer-Tropsch equations would predict you would do. All right, Jerome, uh, stay put. We'll take a timeout, come back, and continue to delve into the great oil conspiracy. So these oil companies are creating false scarcity in order to jack up the price. 
We've been fighting war. Blood is being spilt over something that is renewable and virtually inexhaustible. The evil continues. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. My name is Richard Serrett. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. And The Conspiracy Show welcomes new affiliate KVNAAM in Flagstaff, Arizona. So all the folks down in KVNAAM in Flagstaff, welcome aboard. Glad to have you as part of our Conspiracy Show family. Jerome Corsi is with us from WorldNet Daily, one of my favorite online uh, publications. And uh, his latest book is The Great Oil Conspiracy, How the U.S. Government Hid the Nazi Discovery of Abiotic Oil from the American People. Uh, Jerome, you mentioned the Soviets. And uh, uh, just to recap, uh, uh, Stalin was told initially that Russia has no oil reserves. And yet here we are today. Russia is one of the largest producers uh, and exporters of oil. So he, Stalin... um, found out what the Germans were doing, and he told his petrogeologists, just dig deeper. But if if this abiotic oil is to be found uh, deeper, does it matter if it's inexhaustible and it's replenishable if it's really hard to get at? Well, it's a good question. The technology, the fastest growing part of the uh, oil industry right now is deeper than deep water drilling. And uh, what we what people have not appreciated was that Earth is you know the Earth has oil in many different places pretty pretty much made throughout the mantle of the Earth where it's going to seep up has a lot to do with bedrock fractures so uh, Saudi Arabia ends up being a good place for oil because the bedrock under the Saudi oil fields is deeply fractured the Gulf of Mexico uh, which was hit by a ma- major a comet at the end of the Mesozoic era. The, the bedrock in the Gulf of Mexico is deeply fractured. Uh, the story I think is fascinating is that the Cantarell well, which was found, Mexico's one of its largest producing deep water oil wells, was found by a fisherman named Cantarell who saw the oil bubbling up in the water uh, in the Gulf and didn't know where it was coming from. It's kind of like a Beverly Hillbilly story, you know, with the oil bubbling up in the fields in Oklahoma. And oil, in the, if you go back and read in the 1870s and 80s, uh, the history, oil bubbling up in the fields in places like Oklahoma was a problem. They used to jar it and try to get it out of the fields because they didn't know what to do with the oil. If they weren't using it at that time, we didn't have a use for it as fuel, and it was you know hurting and detrimental to the crops. So the point is that We've always had abundant oil, and even with, you know, we've, I've been told since I was a kid we were running out of oil. It's the peak oil theory. If oil is fossil fuel, there's only so many fossils, then they think we're going to run out of it. But when you look at the statistics, I was told as a kid we were going to run out of oil in the 1970s. I remember Jimmy Carter, president of the United States, wearing a cardigan in the White House telling us, turn down the thermostat. Right, right. We're running out. Well, today, Energy Information Agency of the United States says there's 1.38 trillion barrels of oil in worldwide reserves. That's more than ever human history. 
despite the fact that consumption has doubled since the 1970s worldwide. If oil is replenishable, Jerome, then I would imagine we should be seeing some evidence of that. For example, have there been oil fields that were drilled dry, presumably, and now we're seeing those refill? Yes. Uh, and also you see the technology improving. We're able to recover more oil out of wells than we thought we was there. Uh, you find the phenomenon of oil wells that were drilled pretty well dry, and then they realized there was another reservoir of oil beneath those that was supplying the upper reservoir. See, the mistake our geologists made was to think that the sedimentary rock was creating the oil, that somehow there were these sedimentary, you know, the biological deposits in the sedimentary rock that was getting cooked into oil. And, you know, that's just, and then those were the deposits they found, so they thought once they drilled those, all the oil was going to be found in sedimentary rock. They didn't, they didn't imagine that the oil was formed at deeper earth levels. And it was pooled in the sedimentary rock. And so the, you know, the, the expectation was that once all this top earth oil had been drilled, that we weren't going to find anymore. That was all there was. Uh, but the fact is that, you know, the, no fossil ever created oil. If you think about it hard, I mean, the, a fossil, for instance, let's take a petrified, piece of petrified wood. It's silica that's filled in the cellular structure of the wood and metamorphized at some point in geological time. But the wood was long gone, deteriorated and rotted away. It, it never turned into oil. I tell people the Bible says, you know, dust into dust. It never says dust into oil. That's not the way the (laughs) biological process works. But if this is true, Jerome, then not only uh, do we have, you know, the government uh, suppressing this information, but I don't know how many, uh, uh, you know, oil company employees out there who would have to also be perpetrating this, this myth. I mean, how do you keep something like this quiet, a secret for so long? Well, what happens, I think, you know, Richard, is that the... Yeah, I, I've done a lot of reading of uh, Thomas uh, Kuhn's book on the, uh, you know, how scientific paradigms, revolutions in scientific paradigms. And what happens is there gets to be a mindset. You know, all of our geologists begin to see the oil as biological fossil fuel, and they all then make the logical deduction if it's fossil fuel, there's only so much of it. And that gets locked in, kind of like an idea that, you know, the ancient idea that the sun revolved around the earth. So if you want to stand up and say, wait a minute, no, it's the other way around, you know, the earth is going around the sun, well, you're first of all going to be laughed at, you're going to be ridiculed, and it's going to be, you know, the kind of thing that is considered to be a conspiracy theory or considered to be, um, you know, just foolish, even if it's true because it goes against the grain of the conventional wisdom. And so, you know, the whole idea of peak oil was this, you know, somebody working for for Shell Oil, a guy named M. King Hubbard, basically took a napkin and drew a bell curve, you know, normal distribution curve, and said, that's oil. First we have a lot, then we start using it up so we reach peak oil, whereas it's maximum production, and then there's none. Well, that's never happened. And then the peak oil theorists say, well, that's all right. We, we, we know it's going to expire. We're going to be done with the oil. 
It's just that we we have to move it out a little further. It's not going to happen in 1970. It's going to happen in you know 2030 or 2040. Uh, and they can't let go of the theory because it's so locked in. Once this kind of locked in theory is there, it's got it's got tremendously adverse political um, consequences. We let the Middle East and countries that are you know, not necessarily favorable to our political goals uh, dominate us. We are we pay out uh, trillions of dollars in foreign exchange reserves to buy oil uh, from foreign nations when we could actually produce it ourselves, and we fight wars over oil. Going back to you know the um, original wars in the Middle East when Great Britain decided it was going to convert from coal to oil with its navy, decision Churchill participated in. You know, all these things can be avoided. I mean, people don't realize what's right in front of them. Canada is producing oil right now today out of the tar sands in Alberta, Canada. Yes. Well, that's non-conventional oil. It's going through synthetic processes to be converted from tar into gasoline or into crude oil that can be then shipped and turned into gasoline or diesel fuel. But, you know, people don't realize that that's a synthetic process. It's a process that is able to be understood chemically. You know, and it's, it's not just because they say, oh, well, but the tar was biological, so the synthetic process is still biologically determined. No, the tar was never biological. The tar, I'm sure, is the same as the shale that goes through the Rocky Mountains, that ends up in the oil fields down in the Gulf of Mexico. Seems like there's a whole range here of hydrocarbons that are coming out uh, across these cracks through the Rocky Mountains up to Canada. And depending upon how the oil came out of the earth and how it pooled, it could be the tar sands uh, in Canada. It could be metamorphized into shale in the Rocky Mountains. And it could still be coming from deep earth levels into the out of the Gulf of Mexico as crude oil. Jerome Corsi is with us, senior staff reporter for World Net Daily. His latest book is The Great Oil Conspiracy, How the U.S. Government Hid the Nazi Discovery of Abiotic Oil from the American People. If it's not scarce, if oil is replenishable, renewable, virtually inexhaustible, how much should we be paying at the pump? The question should be dramatically less, Richard, dramatically less. I mean, we're, you know, we're easily half of what we're paying, maybe less. And again, it's also, these are the government regulations. You see the scarcity of oil and the fossil fuel theory, the tox, toxicity that oil is not a natural product of the earth. Governments have to regulate it to protect us. Well, it also then affects refineries. And what's going on in California right now where oil is skyrocketing to over $5 a gallon for, for gasoline at the pump is because of the refineries being closed or having you know difficulties operating, and you try to open a new refinery in the United States, which we haven't done for 30 years, and you're going to face 10 years of litigation from the Sierra Club. It seems like they're, they've failed in terms of trying to create a scarcity at one end because this oil keeps coming out of the ground, so they're trying to now create a scarcity at the other end by, uh, by reducing capacity in the refineries, as you say. And, and what I've uh, heard and, and been told... Uh, by researchers, is that it is the oil companies that, in fact, are helping to draft the environmental legislation that it prevents these refineries from being built. Uh, in, in fact, I've found oil companies, you know, in cahoots with environmental companies, funding them. You know, they even see it in the advertising. 
British Petroleum, which now is BP, says they're beyond petroleum. Well, that's nonsense. But British Petroleum is nowhere in the world beyond petroleum. They may put some money into these green technologies, but the green energy technologies are also boondoggles. It's an ideological agenda uh, driven by uh, you know people who do not like industrial activity, don't like hydrocarbon fuels, think that they're intrinsically wrong or evil or harmful, would, you know, this is not the case. We can burn clean coal, uh, yet our Environmental Protection Agency under President Obama is closing down 200 coal-burning power plants in the United States, putting people out of work in states like West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, uh, because... They, they, you know, ideologically, the Obama administration says, "Oh yeah, we're we're in favor of clean coal." That's in their platform of the Democratic National Party, as running for re-election of Obama. But you try to look at the EPA. The EPA is putting daily into effect regulations that's shutting down our use of coal left and right. And yet, the United States is like the Saudi Arabia coal. It's insane that we're not using this resource to reduce costs of electricity and. Energy, especially when we're in the middle of a global recession, and, and cheap energy would help to get us out of it. What would happen, though, to the U.S. dollar, which, let's face it, is already in trouble? It's a petrodollar, essentially. Uh, what would happen to the U.S. dollar if it suddenly became um, widely known that oil is renewable and virtually inexhaustible? And, and if the price of oil were to drop, what would that do to the U.S. dollar and thus the U.S. economy, which is obviously very fragile? Well, as I point out in the Great Oil Conspiracy, if we could be oil independent, we wouldn't have to put all these you know, billions of dollars overseas in foreign exchange reserves to buy oil. So the first thing it would do is it would strengthen the dollar by not having such a, a drain on our balance of trade, which foreign oil, purchasing foreign oil, does. And secondly, if we could get cheaper energy, it should stimulate economic activity, both in the United States and Canada. I mean, right now we're getting an enormous amount of our energy from Canada. And Canada, compared to the United States today, is actually doing much better economically. Look at the, the value of the Canadian dollar, the U.S. dollar, which have been you know, consistently almost at par, whereas in, in decades earlier, the Canadian dollar was always valued much less than the U.S. dollar. So I think it would strengthen our currency if we could tell the people the truth. And, you know, the United States, surprisingly, even though most people in the United States believe we're out of oil, and we've used it all, we're today producing more oil in the United States than we have for decades, and we're by 2013, to 2030 rather, Goldman Sachs has predicted the United States could be energy independent, a net oil exporter. All right, Jerome, stay put. We'll uh, take a time out, come back and continue to delve into the great oil conspiracy here on All Places, The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Richard Serrett. All one word, last name spelled S-Y-R-E-T-T. 
slash Richard Serrett, all one word. Uh, Jerome Corsi is with us from World Net Daily, and the, the new book is The Great Oil Conspiracy, and uh, putting forth some pretty compelling evidence that we've been bamboozled, folks. Oil is not a fossil fuel. It is renewable and virtually inexhaustible. So we should be paying a heck of a lot uh, less at the pumps, and there's no need to be putting boots on the ground and in harm's way um, in in uh, the Middle East uh, to, to pull this stuff out of the ground when we've got plenty right here uh, in North America. Now, uh, further evidence, uh, Jerome, that oil is uh, not a fossil fuel. If it if it if it uh, is true that we're finding hydrocarbons all over the universe or all over the galaxy and uh, on, on Titan, one of Saturn's moons, and so forth, that that uh, suggests what? Well, that's right, Richard. It suggests again that hydrogen and carbon can form and get together, form hydrocarbons, uh, hydrocarbons, without the use of any dead biological material. So, you know, this was this was on Thomas Gold, who was a very famous astrophysicist at Cornell. Uh, he actually helped develop radar with the British during World War II. Uh, Gold was doing. Um, spectrographic analyses throughout our solar system and um, he that was his specialty and uh, he wrote a book called deep hot biosphere arguing again that oil is abiotic not biological in origin uh, because he was finding thomas gold was finding hydrocarbons all over our solar system and he knew there was nothing alive or supposedly alive uh, anywhere except earth in our solar system the, the the titan is the great Example: Titan, the big moon of of Saturn, which now the uh, NASA and the European Space Agency, we've sent probes to Titan. It's filled with methane, liquid methane, various forms. Uh, the methane has been sampled, and uh, NASA and the European Space, Space Agency said it's the isotope of carbon that is abiotic. Of course, you know, I guess the alternative would have been to say that the dinosaurs maybe were space travelers, and maybe they died up on the moon, you know, on the moon of Saturn as well. Uh, but it's all nonsense. And I think anybody who thinks about it, you know, this whole idea of there's organic chemicals, we study organic chemistry, and that's supposed to be hydrocarbons. Well, there's no special brand of, chemis- of chemicals that are alive. I mean, it's just hydrogen and carbon. And they can combine, hydrogen and carbon combine in these kind of catalytic reactions, uh, best described in the fischer trops equations the Germans developed before World War II. And I think as our scientists begin looking at these equations, we're going to have a, a new mindset about not only finding deep earth oil, but realizing how many different synthetic methodologies exist to create oil from tar sands in Canada or from shale. Um, and, you know, oil is truly abundant when we think about it not as a scarce fossil fuel resource. Now, the the uh, the proponents of the fossil fuel theory uh, say that when you pull oil out of the ground, it contains, is it carbon-12, which is sort of the, I guess, a byproduct yeah, it, of photosynthesis? That's right. If it, that's it, there's, there's two different isotopes of carbon. One is usually associated with uh, organic and the other with inorganic. And, um, you know, you can find 
some of the oil, one of the other confusions is that when oil does come out of sedimentary rock, it has biological debris in it. But that's only because it's passed through rock that has biological debris in it, not because the oil was formed from some biological material. Uh, you can also find oil um, coming out of the uh, crack that goes down the center of the Atlantic Ocean. You find hydrocarbons. They've been surveyed by the Woods Hole uh, or Oceanographic Expedition. And uh, the methane coming out of the center of the Earth, the uh, middle of the Atlantic Ocean, is also abiotic carbon, hydrocarbon methane. So, you know, we know that these processes are going on and Earth and so on our solar system, and the, the you know the change in mentality comes to realize that the mantle of the Earth is actually a perfect environment in which these catalytic processes can be going on, and hydrocarbons being formed. In a completely natural process, the Earth is alive. These processes are going on right now in in, in uh, inside the Earth, uh, which is truly something we know very little about. Uh, but as we begin to understand it, I think we're going to find that, you know, the, the manufacturing of hydrocarbons is one of the things the Earth does on a constant basis. All right, we'll um, step away here momentarily. Jerome, stay put. When we come back, I'd like to know, I mean, are there any whistleblowers inside big oil who are trying to alert the public to this incredible bamboozle? I mean, it's worse than a bamboozle. This is pure evil. People are dying. We are spilling blood over the extraction of oil, and it's not necessary. It's not a scarce resource. Back with more of my conversation with Jerome Corsi, The Great Oil Conspiracy. Stay with us. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To get to the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740. Jerome Corsi stays with us a few moments uh, yet. A senior staff reporter at WorldNet Daily and the uh, brand new book is The Great Oil Conspiracy. Uh, Jerome, are there any whistleblowers inside Big Oil uh, who are trying to get this information out to the public that oil is renewable, replenishable, inexhaustible? Oh, there have been, but, you know, again, the culture of the big oil companies doesn't permit much discussion of the issue. Uh, the, the idea in government and, and oil, big oil, is that it's fossil fuel, and that's kind of imposed very strictly. I mean, I, I think anybody who would seriously start talking about abiotic oil would probably risk their jobs. Uh, but, the, you know, the information is available. Uh, the Russians have used the theory, the Russians... The, the Russian and Ukrainian theory of abiotic origin oil is one of the most you know well-known theories around the world. I think probably the United States and Canada are the last two countries to really hold on to this fossil fuel uh, theory with any uh, seriousness. Uh, most mostly, I think, when the oil companies are finding oil at the deep levels, you know, miles below the surface of the Gulf of Mexico and off the coasts of every continent in the world, uh, I believe the oil companies would be ready to abandon the idea of, um, of fossil fuel, except 
you know, when they abandon the oil, they give up an awfully lot of control, and they give up a lot of, you know, grip on people who are worried we're running out of oil. Uh, but the evidence is so overwhelming that you know, we're awash in oil. I mean, I, I remember just going back two or three decades, Canada was considered to be out of oil, too. And yet, the look at these tar sands in Alberta. Canada is a tremendous exporter of oil, natural gas. If if this pipeline's not built and the United States doesn't begin taking more Canadian oil, I'm sure Canada will sell it to, to China. That's the plan. Now, I, I mean, I understand why big oil would would uh, would want to uh, perpetrate this this lie. If this is in fact the case, and I and I, based on what I've read, I, I tend to think it has a great deal of credence. Uh, I understand why big oil would want to do this. Why would governments go along for the ride and 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 basically imprison their own people? Because that's what's happened. We are now living in this prison planet. Well, I think, I think Richard, the answer is the governments love to create regulatory mechanisms and control. I mean, look at the huge, in the United States, Department of Energy, and then we've got the Energy Information Administration, the Energy Information Agency, we've got the EPA. The EPA is massive in control of our economy. It shuts down all kinds of activity, industrial activity, that you know the EPA finds one way or another detrimental to the environment. Protecting the environment, it great extremes under an idea that human beings are almost intrinsically harmful to the environment. You know, abandoning the idea that we are, you know, somehow or other stewards of the earth or that we can improve the earth or improve the condition of the earth both for, you know, animals and human beings or animals, human beings and plant life, which I believe we can. Uh, so you get this tremendous attitude against oil and against hydrocarbons, against a prejudice, the solar, look, solar and wind are never going to be more than one or two percent of our energy needs. The, the energies just are not robust enough. It's, and, and in the United States, we try to support these technological companies. They end up being opportunities for graft. I mean, friends of the president get these companies. They get hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, stimulus money or tax-free loans or Guaranteed loans, and the companies go bankrupt. But and isn't technologies it, don't work? Jerome, is there not an argument though that could be made that if it was known that oil is inexhaustible uh, and replenishable and cheap, uh, then we would waste it. It would be used in a very wasteful manner. I don't think. I mean, I don't see how you you know can waste. The idea would be that to make oil of and hydrocarbons available as cheap energy and stimulate economic activity, uh, manufacturing, et cetera. I mean, you know, the the fact is people don't uh, uh, economize on, on use of fuel and energy unless they're forced to. And then it's a great detriment to a quality of lifestyle. Uh, when we have had cheaper energy at different periods of time, it was still abundant. And, it, we, you know, we're not wasting it in that sense. I mean, it, the idea of... You know, there being a perfectly efficient way to use energy is maybe never achievable, but I'd rather have it available cheaply and stimulate economic activity. Certainly the opposite with this great government control and fear and everything. You know, we're, we spend, we put, you know, billions and trillions of dollars over time in the Middle East. We're funding countries that, you know, become enormously wealthy, wealthy, Saudi Arabia, other oil producing countries in OPEC. 
countries which don't, do not necessarily have political interests of the United States or Canada in mind, and yet we're we're you know fighting wars, we're uh, engaging in various kinds of economic blackmail over the, from these countries uh, because we maintain this myth of economic dependency on a resource, hydrocarbon resources that we've convinced everybody are scarce and fossil fuel. If the people realize, look, we can we can uh, drill deeper, we can use lots of synthetic processes, we can convert shale, we can we can do all kinds of conversion of resources economically to produce hydrocarbon fuel at cheap prices. It should be liberating and we should be moving into an environment and area where people can have access to energy without these adverse horrible political consequences. Let's grab a quick call. Uh, John is in Toronto. John, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. You're on the line with Jerome Corsi. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to mention the first great conspiracy, which was that Henry Ford created the Model T to run on corn-based ethanol. Gasoline was a junk byproduct of kerosene nobody used. And the first great conspiracy was prohibition, which stopped any alcohol production and shunted the future to gasoline and Standard Oil, Esso, Exxon, and its founder, John D. Rockefeller, who died in 1931, worth today's equivalent of $90 billion. And he is still the richest man to have ever lived, thanks to gasoline. And today, ethanol is now the great savior for humanity and transportation. And at what cost? It's all money, isn't it? All right, John. Uh, thank you for that. Jerome, comments? Well, I think those are good points. I mean, the the fact is, if we, you know, we're allowing uh, the true energy technologies to develop, uh, hydrogen technology, which yet has problems in terms of condensing hydrogen supply, but you know, you can run a gas, you can run an engine on water because of the hydrogen in the water. What what people need to understand is that. Hydrocarbons are available, and they are available such that we shouldn't have to create Henry, you know, especially John D. Rockefellers, or name them in the Middle East that are in OPEC, because we're getting these tremendous concentrations of wealth based on the based on scarcity and government regulations which favor the wealth being created. You can still have very successful oil-producing companies do so within a reasonable basis where people understood that the resources of hydrocarbons were available, uh, that energy was something that we could... The Nazis didn't have a problem. Nazis said, we don't have any crude oil, so they figured out synthetic oil. And the process of doing so, they created, the, they figured out the formulas which showed the Soviets Oil existed at deep earth levels. How are we going to bust through? Uh, you know, you're line, we're lining up against big oil and the government. I mean, we're talking about a a um, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars annually at stake here. How how are you going to break through that? Well, it's one of the reasons. I mean, I appreciate your show tonight, Richard, because it gives me an opportunity to get this information out to people. That's why I wrote the Great Oil Conspiracy because. If, you know, I wrote this book. It's not a hard book. You don't have to have. You don't have to be a chemist or, you know, political scientist to read the book. It's relatively short. You can read it in a couple settings. It, it's got the footnotes, so you can go get the sources. But I want to open people's minds to get beyond the lies they've been told since all of us told since we were children about this oil being fossil fuel, scarce, running out, 
all of it's a lie. And, the, and as soon as you see these kinds of lies, Richard, you should be where immediately this is just political control from government in order to concentrate wealth to the detriment of you know the vast majority of human beings that want and should be able to engage in free economic activity with resources that are abundant and should not be cheap, or we shouldn't have to fight these ghastly wars uh, with foreign countries that we really have no interest in. Any idea how how many people have died uh, fighting in wars over oil? Well, I think it's almost incalculable. I mean, I think you can go back and make arguments that a lot of our wars have been over oil. You can certainly find you know, roots of oil uh, control going back in World War One and World War Two. I mean, you know, the before World War One, uh, you had Churchill intervening and participating in Iran and Iraq, but Iran especially. Uh, you know, because Persia was an oil-producing country, and the British were there, you know, at the turn of the century. And the whole colonialization, I think, of a lot of, you know, the world has to do with resources that the industrialized world wanted to gain at the expense of uh, undeveloped nations and third-world countries. This whole type of thinking needs to be done away with. Okay, so now we read the book. What do we do next? How do we, how do we fight this fight? Well, I think we demand that uh, we uh, allow the... I think we got to attack it both from the point of view of government regulations and also look at the you know concentrations of wealth that are going into big oil companies around the world. Oil companies would be happy to make a reasonable profit. I think everyone would be happy to have them do so. But with oil being produced you know, in, in greater quantity and made to be in greater quantity on the market. The incentives incentives should be for the oil companies to get the oil produced and out there. Uh, with you know people understanding that we can have clean coal, that we can burn hydrocarbons cleanly. You know, we're not destroying the world to take the tar sands. We can not only repair the environment after the tar sands are used, but improve the environment. That we could get oil uh, and natural gas out of um, Alaska in abundance. And, you know, this, this, the Russians understand this. Why, why does everybody think the Russians are so interested in the Arctic? The Russians know how much, how many hydrocarbons can be accessed through the Arctic. And these are the kinds of thinking we've got to do in order to uh, prevent these, these, you know, blocks, these strangleholds, which end up only creating political divisions, the advantage of politicians who want power, and to the advantage of, you know, concentrations of wealth, which benefit the John D. Rockefellers, when truly the average person ought to be getting the benefit of cheap energy. Is big oil coming after you? Well, you know, they've not been, they've not been very friendly towards me, let's put it that way. I'm a, I'm a very controversial writer anyway. I'm constantly, you know, my job at WND as an investigative reporter I'm not. I'm not out here to win friends. I'm out here to try to tell the truth. Well, we uh, we wish you well in that endeavor. It's a uh, it's an uphill battle. Uh, you certainly. Um, I'm just confident, Richard, that if people hear the truth and begin to read the Great Oil Conspiracy, I mean, I've got all the Nazi science. I've got the pictures of the Nazis. I mean, I've got. You know, not that I'm endorsing the Nazi regime. It was a horrible, evil regime, but it had some brilliant science. We should take advantage of that brilliant science and not bury it. 
The Great Oil Conspiracy, and uh, they can order that uh, online. Uh, Amazon, can they order that through WorldNet Daily? Yes, Amazon, WND Superstore, uh, Barnes & Noble. It's an electronic uh, book at a cheaper price in all formats. And it's a hardcover book in the stores. It can be ordered hardcover or electronic through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, WND Superstore. It's readily available. Jerome, thank you for this. Uh, Richard, thank you for the program. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jerome Corsi. All right, and you can uh, find out what's upcoming up on this very program on my website, www.richardserrett.com.